Good morning. It is such a joy, and um, it's also sorrowful that I stand before you today knowing that this is most likely the last time uh, I will be able to speak to this church the Word of God. Um, For six and a half years, we've been here. My family was at the earlier service, so they're not here now, but uh, we've been here, and we've We have loved this place, and we have been loved by this community, and we are so grateful to have been able to be a part of this work of God here, and uh, I just want you to know that um, we're so thankful, and we're we're sad to leave, um, but we're so glad for what the Lord has done and is doing here, so thank you, and... uh, We're not here for sappy goodbyes, though. We're not leaving for, like, more than a month. So, we're here to hear from God. And fortunately, God has spoken. And uh, I'm going to read to you a portion of the Scripture, a portion of His Word. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 20, excuse me, 10 through 17. And before I read it, let me just remind you, as I like to do, that this is God's Word, and it's totally true. And we have it because God wants us to know Him. He loves us, and He wants us to know Him. So receive this as God's Word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from, a, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you that you have called us into worship, into your presence. And we thank you that you have given us your word to hear straight from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, that by the working of your spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see your goodness, your truth, your beauty, and believe. We pray that you would challenge us 
and stretch us and build us up in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So if you've been around a little bit this year, you know that, uh, that Dave and John Paul, the pastors here, have been preaching through the whole Bible, um, which has been really fun. And so today, uh, as I was thinking about preaching on this passage, I started thinking about Seinfeld. I uh, was a huge Seinfeld fan in college. Don't get to watch it very much at all anymore with four small children. Uh, but one of my favorite seasons, I think it was just one season, though it may have been more than one. I'm not sure. One of my favorite parts of the Seinfeld saga is uh, the part where Seinfeld starts to make a show about nothing. Which is funny because like, it, it's so meta. Because Seinfeld is a show about this, this, this guy's life, Seinfeld's life. And, and then in the show, the characters make a show about their lives. It's, it's like Inception, you know. And I feel like that's what I'm getting to do a little bit. Because Dave started preaching on Genesis back in December or January, and uh, he's continued on, and, and he, they've, they've made it all, almost all the way through the Scripture, and they're going to make it to the end uh, by the end of this year. So we're, we've been learning about what the Scripture teaches, what the Scripture is, what the themes of it are, and we've seen that in different books of the Bible. And I get to preach this passage where the Bible talks about itself. The Bible tells us what it is, what it means, what it's all about. So, I hope that's profitable for you. Um, I'm going to let you know where I'm going with it. What we want to see as we think about this, what the Bible says about itself, is first the necessity of Scripture. And then we're going to see the authority of Scripture. And then thirdly, we're going to see the purpose of Scripture. Those are my three points. We'll dive in. The necessity of Scripture. Why do we need this Scripture? I think the answer that this passage gives us when it's talking about itself is we need the Scripture because evil is real. That may sound familiar to you. I hope it does. It's one of the five threads that Dave has pointed out uh, that runs throughout the whole Scripture is that evil is real. And that's apparent in this passage. We see it right here in verses 12 and 13. Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil is real. The world we live in is full of competing truth claims. There are people and institutions and powers who are, who are telling us what is true, what reality is. And they're vying for our attention. And they're proclaiming truth so that we might be formed 
into the image of what they want us to be formed into. Evil is real, it's present, it's active. It is trying to form us. The world we live in is not morally neutral. The world we live in is not spiritually neutral. Evil is real. And evil people are trying to deceive us. Evil powers are trying to deform us. We got chickens in my family this spring, early this spring, right at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. And it's been so fun. Chickens, if you don't have them, I highly recommend you look into them. Uh, Great pets. They're a little messy, okay? I'll admit it. But uh, they're really fun to watch, and they lay eggs, and you get to eat them. It's great. Uh, But I learned some things about chickens and keeping chickens through this process. One of the things I learned was the function of the chicken coop. Because, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm, like probably most of you didn't. And I I grew up with little storybooks about farms. And what I learned from those storybooks was that the chickens needed a coop because that was their house. That was where they wanted to live. They were like me. They wanted to have a little room. But chickens actually, I found out when we got them, don't care about the coop. They will just, like at the end of the day, if my eight-year-old son Simon doesn't go and round them up and herd them with a stick into the coop, they'll just go to sleep under a bush, sitting on a chair by the fire pit, hop up on the railing on the deck, and go to sleep. They're fine with that. What I found out is that the coop exists because predators exist. Foxes and coyotes and raccoons and bobcats. And there have been rumors of bears. And there was even one news story uh, about the the authorities found like a nine-foot-long python in the ditch in my neighborhood. These animals exist, and they have greedy eyes that are searching for sleeping, defenseless chickens to devour. The coop is there to guard the chickens. And what the Scripture bears witness about itself is that the Scripture guards against the deceit of evil people and powers. The Scripture protects us from the lies of the enemy by telling us the truth. And it's not just... I like that image, but I don't love it because it's not just something that sits, that goes around us and keeps us safe on the inside like a chicken coop. The, the word also forms us. It forms us. We, I think we as human beings tend to think of ourselves as like these, these rocks, like we're solid. And maybe we'll change our mind on something, but we're just going to change our mind if we decide to change our mind. But that's actually not true of us. 
We are formed by the things that are going on around us all the time. Maybe we are like rocks, but we're like the rocks out in the, in the rivers in the western part of the state. If you've ever been out there, seen the waterfalls and the rapids, and you can see how the water flows through the rocks and carves out these deep grooves and makes pools. And the rock that once was of just a flat surface gets carved into these intricate designs because of the movement of the water. The world we live in shapes us. The information, the messages we hear, the things that we believe, the practices that we have form us. And the question this text is asking you, the question I want you to consider is who are you listening to? What are the messages that you are hearing? What are the, what's the environment that you put yourself in? What is shaping you? Because the messages we hear, the things that we interact with, answer the great questions that we have. Who am I? What should I be doing? What should I love? What should I stay away from? We have these questions, and they're being answered by the things around us. The question that this text is asking us is, who are we listening to? Is it a lifestyle blogger? I love lifestyle blogs. My wife follows a bunch of them on Instagram. I don't personally follow them, but, you know, she'll be scrolling, and I'll be looking. Because there's some really cool stuff on there about how to decorate your house, how to prepare beautiful and delicious and nutritious food, how to, uh, how to homeschool, we, we, you know, we're homeschoolers, so we're watching uh, how, to, how to train up your children through homeschooling. But it, the, the question that this text makes me want to ask is, is that what's forming me? Is that lifestyle blogger what is answering my deepest questions about who I am and what I should be? Who is forming us? Is it the opinions of your friends? And the looks on their faces when they see what you're wearing or how fit you are or what your car looks like? Who is forming us? Is it your political party? I have to ask, you know. It's kind of pressing right now. Is your political party forming your identity? Is it answering all of your questions? Because if those things are forming our identity and telling us who we are, then the Scripture, the, the Word of God is not. The Scripture is a guardian, and it's also formative for us. And that's why it's necessary. It's not only necessary, uh, I want us to think about its authority. This is point two. It's authority. Another way to, to talk about that is its trustworthiness. How do we know that the Bible is trustworthy? And uh, the text is very clear on this point. 
It says that the Bible has authority. The Bible is trustworthy because it's from God. Verses 16 and 17 say, All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the classic go-to text for Christians for hundreds and even thousands of years to understand that God's Word, the Bible, comes from God. It is not an impression of God. It is not about God. It's not someone's interpretation of God's Word. What the, te- the Scripture testifies about itself is that it is the very words of God. When you are reading these words, you are hearing from the mouth of God. The, the, the doctrine of inspiration is, uh, one of my seminary professors impressed upon me, is actually not a very good word. Because inspired makes it sound like the writers of Scripture got inspiration from God, and so they wrote some things. He said it's much better to think about it as the expiration of Scripture. Paul, when he was writing this letter to his friend Timothy, he took two words, God and breathe, and he stuck them together. He made up a new word and said the Bible is breathed out by God. That's why it has authority. But Paul actually gives us another reason to listen to it. I didn't know this until I really started studying this passage. And I I need to make it clear that the, the reason, the main reason, the ultimate reason that we should listen to Scripture is because it's from God. God breathed it out. But he gives us a second reason, a secondary reason. And I have to include it for the mamas and the grandmamas who are here. Okay? Because right now, it is hard to be a mama or a grandmama. If you're keeping babies, it's hard. Kids have crazy school schedules. Everything's upside down. It's always hard. Who am I kidding? Especially right now. And what Paul said to his son in the faith, his mentee, this young pastor Timothy in verse 14 He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's encouraging Timothy to remember not only what the word says, but from whom he learned it. And do you know who that refers to? I'll tell you. It refers back to what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 5. Timothy learned the faith. He learned the scriptures and he learned the faith from Lois and Eunice, his grandma and his mom. Isn't that awesome? The Apostle Paul, in writing to this young pastor, said, Remember who taught you the word. Remember that it was your mom and your grandmom. And it's not because, you know, you have to listen to mom and grandma, though it's usually a good idea. He said, remember who taught you the word because those women were women of faith. Their lives bore witness to the fact that they were alive to God. 
This is in contrast, we, we, when you read the whole uh, letter of 2 Timothy, this is in direct contrast to the liars, the imposters, whose lives led to dissension, disagreement, and quarreling. Lois and Eunice and Paul, who believed the Scriptures and lived it out, had lives that bore witness to the trustworthiness of Scripture. So if you're a mom and you're raising some little hooligans, it just feels so futile. I hope that you're encouraged by this. God is using ordinary people like Lois and Eunice and you to do His work, to build His church, to bear witness to the trustworthiness of Scripture. A life that is shaped and formed by Scripture, like Lois's life, like Eunice's life, like many of your lives, is a beautiful life, and it bears good fruit. And thirdly, the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture. And uh, again, this is straightforward in the passage. Why do we have the Scriptures? The purpose of the Scriptures is to get us into Jesus. That was what Paul taught his protege Timothy in verse 15. I'll read part of 14. Uh, As for you, continue in what you have learned and how you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, another way to talk about the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. The Scriptures teach us what we need to know about salvation. The Scriptures teach us and reveal to us that we are in great need because of our sin. And the Scriptures over and over, even in the Old Testament through types and shadows and in the New Testament in brilliant display, show us that Christ came into the world to meet our need. To overcome our sin, to overcome death, to unite us to God so that we could be with Him forever. The Scriptures get us into Jesus. They bring us to Jesus. But they don't only, not only bring us into Jesus, they also bring Jesus into us. The Scriptures, the function of the Scriptures, the purpose of the Scriptures is to form Jesus into us. That's what Paul was talking about in verses 16 and 17 when he said all Scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching. For teaching what? For teaching about Jesus and what it means to know Jesus and to love what Jesus loves. And it's profitable for reproof and for correction. It it turns us back when we have strayed away from our first love. It's profitable for training us in righteousness. For answering those questions. Not only who are we, but what should we do? What should we love? 
It all points us and gets us into Jesus, and it gets Jesus into us. Uh, a couple years ago, almost, almost two years ago, I was sitting out there on a Sunday morning listening to, I'm sure, a fabulous sermon by Pastor Dave there. And uh, I noticed out of the, the corner of my eye that two things were going on at one time. Uh, Catherine, uh, who was my youngest daughter, had just been born. And Shanae, my wife, was holding her. And she was a little bit fussy that day. And Shanae was bouncing and patting that little baby on the bottom, you know, just, give, just soothing her because she's an awesome mom. And on the other side of me, Reagan, who's my second oldest, my little girl, she was sitting with her baby doll. And she had that baby cradled up against her chest just like her mama had the real baby. And she was bouncing and patting that baby on the bottom. And nobody told Reagan that good little girls soothe babies. Nobody had to tell her to imitate her mom. She knows her mom is a good mom. She knows that that's love. And she wanted to do what her mom was doing. She's close to her mom, and her mom is close to her, and they love each other. And so this little girl wants to do the same thing. The scriptures work that way. They bring us to Jesus. They show us what he's like. They get us into him and they form us to be like him. But it's not just an information thing, right? It's not just information that we need. It's not just to tell us what to do or what not to do. The scriptures bring us to Jesus in such a way as we get to see what he's like and experience his love so that we might imitate him. And the result is that the man of God will be complete, equipped for every good work. So that we can go out into the world and do the works of God in an environment that desperately needs the works of God. We need to be filled up with our Savior. So we need the Word. We need to read it. We need to hear it preached. We need to meditate on it. The midweek devotional, yes, soak it in. Sit in it. And eat it. Jesus in his grace not only gave us words, he gave us signs. And what we have before us, this table that we have before us, is a visible, tangible, tasteable word. So when we come to this table, we are taking in Jesus so that we can be formed by what is true and by what is real 
so that we can be con- so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. So if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have been baptized and are a member of a Bible-believing church, then this table is for you, and we're about to feast together as the family of God. If you have not yet believed in Jesus, we are so glad you're here, and we would invite you to consider what we are doing in eating this family meal. We would ask that if you are not a believer, if you have not been baptized into a church uh, and uh, are a member in good standing of a church, then we would ask that you refrain from taking the elements, but instead take this opportunity to think about getting into Jesus. Because we want you to come to the table with us. We want you to eat and be nourished with us. And so that invitation is open, and we, uh, we plead with you to take it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that you uh, produced as you uh, carried along prophets by the work of your spirit who wrote down your words. And we thank you that you are the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and that you laid down your life and then you took it up again so that we might have life. And we thank you that you have given us this picture of your word that is before us, this meal of communion. And we pray, Lord, that you would set apart these normal and ordinary elements of bread and drink to do a spiritual, mysterious, soul-nourishing work in us. We pray that you would do it by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.